Good evening. This is Peter Hammond in the studio for From the Frontline. Tonight, dedication and courage. On the 26th of February, 1852, one of the worst naval disasters occurred off the coast of the Western Cape, 140 kilometers from Cape Town, near Hansby, what today is called Danger Point. Her Majesty's ship, Birkenhead, struck a rock shelf and began to sink rapidly. The Birkenhead was carrying the 4th and 78th regiments. These were Scottish and Irish warriors whose regiments had distinguished themselves in conflicts from the Napoleonic Wars and later they were in the Crimean War. Also on board with these troops were some wives and children. It became apparent that the foundering ship was going to sink. There were very few lifeboats aboard because it was a metal paddle steamer and therefore was deemed unsinkable. Nevertheless, calm prevailed. Orders were issued by Naval Captain Robert Salmond to place all the women and children into the few precious lifeboats. Women and children first was the order. There was just about enough room for the women and children and after they were launched, Captain Salmond gave the order, every man for himself, abandon ship. At this, the 74th Foot Regiment Officer Commanding, Lieutenant Colonel Seton, ordered, stand fast. Do not attempt to leave this ship. Do not attempt to swim to the heavily laden lifeboat. Do not endanger the lives of the women and children. Go down with the ship. The men lined up in perfect military formation on the decks as their pipe bands played and singing Christian hymns. These stalwarts went down with the Birkenhead into shark-infested waters. No man attempted to swim to the heavily laden lifeboats as they realized that this would destabilize and swamp these boats and risk the lives of the women and children. Within 20 minutes, the Birkenhead had sunk. Not one woman or child was lost. 444 men drowned that night. Of the 643 souls on board, only 193 survived. Of the nine horses on board, eight made it safely to the shore. The soldiers and the sailors of the Birkenhead exercised Christian chivalry that in times of crisis men must give their lives for women and children. The discipline and the self-sacrificing courage of the men of the Birkenhead inspired the poet Rudyard Kipling to write, so they stood and were still to the Birkenhead drill, soldier and sailor too. And that phrase, Birkenhead drill, came to be synonymous courage, discipline and self-sacrificing chivalry in the face of impossible odds. King Frederick William IV of Prussia was so impressed by the discipline and the courage of the soldiers and sailors on the Birkenhead that he ordered an account of the incident to be read at the head of every regiment of his army. The men of HMS Birkenhead certainly conducted themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Philippians 1 verse 27 to 28 we read, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. And that from God, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 
The men of the HMS Birkenhead had stood fast. They did not break ranks. They did not attempt to swim to the boatloads of women and children. They did not endanger the women and children in these fully laden lifeboats from being swamped or destabilized. And even as they could see sharks circling around the sinking ship, the men stood firm. They did their duty. Greater love has no one than this than that one lays down one's life for his friends. That's the words of our Lord Jesus in John 15 verse 13. How are we to respond in bad times? Perhaps you have felt that you're in a sinking ministry, torpedoed by antagonists and the sharks are circling. As Christians, we are called to wholehearted, sacrificial service. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for men. Colossians 3.23 The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It follows then that the greatest sin would be to fail to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they have been created and have their being. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you have purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Our great God, our loving Creator, our merciful Redeemer, He deserves all of our praise, all honor, all faithfulness and zeal and dedication. It is a terrible sin to be lax in doing the Lord's work. Woe to those who are complacent in Zion. Amos 6 verse 1. 2 Chronicles 24 verse 5 reports that the Levites did not act at once. Nehemiah 3 verse 5 records, but their nobles would not put their shoulders into the work. Luke 12 verse 47 records, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. That's the words of our Lord Jesus. James 4 verse 17 says, anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and does not do it, sins. Slackness in God's service is a sin. As Jeremiah 48 verse 10 says, a curse on him in doing the Lord's work, a curse on him who keeps a sword from bloodshed. There is danger that those who are under attack and under heavy criticism and backstabbing will allow themselves to be distracted from focusing on their ministry responsibilities and distracted from fulfilling the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's also the danger that we will fail to fulfill our duty and succumb to shell shock instead of joining the battle as obedient and effective servants of Christ. King Saul's partial obedience was actually rebellion. Israel's first king, Saul, knew what God had commanded, but he failed to fulfill the divine instructions. 1 Samuel 15, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. 
That's just the word of God in 1 Samuel 15 verse 2. The scripture records, But Samuel and the army spared King Agag and the best of his sheep and cattle, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Samuel. I am grieved that I made Saul king, because he has turned away from me, and he has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And we read that in 1 Samuel 5, 9-11. When the prophet Samuel went to meet King Saul, he was told, Saul has gone up to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king of Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy these wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. This also for 1 Samuel 15. Although King Saul thought that his partial obedience was good enough, the Lord utterly rejected him. God's word described King Saul's partial obedience as rebellion, arrogance, idolatry. The book of 1 Samuel also records another example of the Lord judging those who are lax in doing the Lord's work. Read in 1 Samuel 2. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. The sons of Eli were priests, yet they were guilty of gross immorality and theft, even in the tabernacle. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing in all of Israel and how they had slept with a woman who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading amongst the Lord's people. If a man sins against man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. The Lord sent a man of God to warn Eli. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offerings that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. 
The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so that these will not be an old man. There will not be an old man in your family line. All your descendants will die in the prime of life. The Lord also spoke to the young boy Samuel and gave him a message for the high priest Eli. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever. Because of the sin he knew about, his sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. A curse on him who is doing the Lord's work. A curse on him who keeps a sword from bloodshed. That is the word of the Lord in Jeremiah 48 verse 10. So watch yourselves, our Lord said in Luke 17 verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Ephesians 5.11 Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Colossians 4.17 Be sure to finish the work you were given in the Lord's service. Philippians 1 verse 20, my deep desire and hope is that I shall never fail in my duty, but at all times, and especially just now, I shall be full of courage, so that with my whole being, I shall bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Acts 20 verse 24, but I consider my own life to be worth nothing to me. I only want to complete my mission and finish the work which the Lord Jesus gave me to do, which is to declare the good news about the grace of God. Where God guides, he provides. The will of God will never lead you, where the grace of God cannot keep you. As General Stonewall Jackson often said, duty is ours. The consequences are God's. It is spiritually refreshing to step out in faith. The most healthy habit you can cultivate is the habit of practicing, responding to the word of God in obedience. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. The men of the Birkenhead, they certainly conducted themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. They stood firm on a sinking ship. They did not break ranks. They did not attempt <coughs> to swim <coughs> to the boatloads of women and children so as not to endanger the women and children in the fully laden lifeboats from being swamped or destabilized. Greater love is no one than this, and that he laid down his life for his friends. But the call to dedicated service, only the first part of this verse, Jeremiah 48 verse 10, has two parts. A curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work, a curse on him who keeps a sword from bloodshed. In Revelation 2 verse 12 to 17, we read in the letter to the church of Pergamum that the Lord rebuked the believers, for tolerating the idolatry and the immorality of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Warfare calls for sacrifice, conscription, rationing, dedication, determination, courage, and tenacity. In warfare, one is required to fight to attack the enemy, to apply all the force that is necessary in order to defeat the enemy and defend one's homeland. Numbers 32 verse 6 says, Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Judges 5.23, Curse Meroz, 
says the angel of the Lord, curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Whose side are you on? In Joshua 5, verse 13 to 14, we read, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither came the reply. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell down on his face in the ground in reverence and he asked, What message does the Lord have for his servant? The Lord does not come to bless our plans. The Lord comes to give us his orders. The question is not, is God on our side? No. The question is, are we on God's side? Whoever's for the Lord, come to me, we read in Exodus 32 verse 26. Joshua 24 verse 15 concludes his life with these words and this challenge. Choose for yourselves this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Psalm 94 verse 16 gives us this challenge. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against the evildoers? The sword is a symbol of our faith. During the Crusades, the Knights of St. John initiated the members of their military order with these words, Take the sword. Its brightness stands for faith. Its points for hope. Its handle for charity. When I visited Zurich in Switzerland, I had the privilege of visiting the church where the reformer Ulrich Zwingli ministered, Grossmünster. Well, nearby is a statue of Zwingli holding a large Bible and even larger sword. As Ulrich Zwingli lay dying on the battlefields attempting to defend the religious freedoms of Zurich, he declared, They may kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. On that same ministry trip, I was asked by a minister in Switzerland, why does that our mission, Frontline Fellowship, has a sword in its badge? I replied, for the same reason that Ulrich Swingley's statue out there has a sword. Christianity is not a pacifist religion. A Christian, by definition, must be active. With our sleeves rolled up, being willing to get our hands dirty, protecting the innocent, defending the defenseless, and saving lives from unprovoked aggression. Christian love is not mere words and sentiment. True love shows itself in action. If all the people with a conscience refuse to fight, then it will leave the battlefields in the hands of men without a conscience. Those who want peace must prepare for war. We must learn to be courageous. We must learn to be loyal, to be sacrificial, to be unselfish. We need to suppress selfish fears and desires and choose to do our duty, our duty to protect the innocent, our duty to defend the defenseless. The Christian dare not choose the easy way out. In the words immortalized by General Douglas MacArthur's great speech at West Point, duty, honor, country. I think of men like King Alfred the Great, Oliver Cromwell, General Robert E. Lee, General Stonewall Jackson, General Charles Gordon, Generals Christian de Vett and Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, General Douglas MacArthur, General George Patton. These men epitomize duty and honor on the battlefield. And when I read this verse, I also think of those brave men of the Shangani Patrol in the country where I was brought up, Rhodesia. In 1893, a small reconnaissance patrol under the command of Major Alan Wilson was cut off from the flooded Shangani River and encircled by thousands of Matabili warriors. 
Major Wilson's men fought to the last man, selling their lives dearly. After the Battle of Mabili, warriors came to Bulawayo and they surrendered. They reported that Alan Wilson's patrol had died singing their national anthem and praying the Lord's Prayer together. The white men sang, they said. These young men fought like lions. What will happen when their fathers come for revenge? We want to make peace. These were men of men and their fathers were men before them. They fought like lions. I think of the courageous Christians in the Nub Mountains of Sudan, an island of Christianity and a sea of Islam. These beleaguered brethren endured some of the worst persecution in the world. Most of their villages had been burned down. Most of their crops had been destroyed. Most of their livestock had been looted by the National Islamic Front government of Sudan. Even their wells had been poisoned. Children were kidnapped by Arab slave traders, separated from their parents, brought up in Kalwas, where they were forcibly Islamized and Arabized. Many Nubans were enslaved. Hundreds of Christian men were crucified. Almost all their churches were burned to the ground. Yet the resilient Nubas continued to stand firm and to fight ferociously for faith and freedom. What a privilege to take Bibles to them, to show the Jesus film to them, to preach and to travel from one side to the other, conducting chaplain services with their soldiers. In the words of Nehemiah 4 verse 14, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Warfare is fought on many levels. Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not brought to bring peace, but a sword. It's in Matthew 10, 34. We read in Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We read in Ephesians 6, 17, that the Bible is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In the words of Jeremiah 48, verse 10, a curse on him who keeps his sword from bloodshed. The scripture commands us to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10.4 We read in the book of Revelation 12.11 that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The Bible makes it clear that Christian life is real, serious warfare. Weapons are issued. Strategies are formulated. Infiltration and sabotage by the enemy is exposed. Battle cries are sounded. Opponents are disarmed. Captives are taken. Prisoners are freed. And victories are won. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot win victories without a battle. You cannot win victories by avoiding the battlefields. The only reason why the devil is so often winning is that the church is so seldom fighting. Not only has Satan enslaved millions to false religions and sinful habits and addictions, but he is also waging an all-out war against the forces of Jesus Christ. Satan aims to undermine the church and the family, which is the basic building block of Saudi, and to frustrate the divinely appointed rescue mission entrusted to it. Satan has lured many into the ambush of pride. Thousands have triggered the landmines of lust. Others have been discouraged by the bombardment of criticism. Many have retreated before the poison gas of gossip. The booby traps of bitterness have crippled the critical, and those who have straggled behind the units have found themselves captured by the diversions of the world. Propaganda has led some to surrender, 
to the armies of unbelief. We are in a spiritual world war. And the fight is to preach the gospel to the millions living under communist oppression and Islamic deception, to smuggle Bibles to those Christians living under severe persecution, to rescue those millions living under the satanic deceptions of false religious cults and sects, to free the drug addicts, to liberate the alcoholics. The world is enemy-occupied territory, and it needs to be liberated for Christ. Our primary targets must include the seemingly impenetrable Marxist and Muslim areas. These strongholds must be reached for Christ, no matter what the cost. The whole church needs to be involved in this war of liberation to free the whole world from the tyranny and oppression of sin and Satan and of his cohorts. As Christians, we are called to be soldiers of Christ. In the words of 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 to 4, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. We have a spiritual enemy to fight. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. We have a spiritual war to win. We have spiritual weapons that are powerful to the destroying of strongholds, to destroying false arguments, to pulling down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. In the words of Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 John 4 verse 4, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. King David was an extraordinary soldier and a devoted servant to the Lord God. David was Israel's greatest king and the author of many of the most beloved psalms and hymns. David has the unique privilege of being described by God as a man after my own heart. Yet, 2 Samuel 11 records the most disastrous fall into sin by David. It all began with these ominous words. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. That's in 2 Samuel 11. The quickest way to destroy one's spiritual zeal is to respond to biblical commands with apathy and inactivity. It is a guaranteed pathway to spiritual disaster when God speaks, but we don't listen. What the Bible teaches, we don't apply. What the Bible commands, we don't obey. When God sends, we don't go. There is a tremendous danger in passivity. Inactivity is deadly to spiritual life. Some temptations come to the industrious, but all temptations come to the idle. Anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and does not do it sins. James 4 verse 7. Now, of course, on the other extreme, there is battle fatigue. Burnout is another serious threat to healthy, balanced discipleship. Nevertheless, those who linger inactively at home when they should be off to war are easy targets for temptation. The devil finds evil work for idle hands. When God commissions us to fight, then we dare not flinch from our duty. We as Christians have the obligation to love our neighbors, and this love must be shown in action. 
When Christian brothers and sisters are suffering persecution in China, or Sudan, Zimbabwe and elsewhere, we must respond in prayer and action. Publicize their plight. Alert other Christians to crisis. Pray, both privately and in public meetings, for the persecuted. Mobilize pressure against the persecutors. Be generous in your support to those who are practically helping the persecuted. Encourage others to contribute whatever skills or resources they can towards helping those brothers and sisters who are suffering. And if God calls you to personally go and serve as people in Sudan or North Korea or Cuba or Angola or wherever it is, then be prepared to respond with wholehearted enthusiasm and dedication. It is certainly spiritually refreshing to step out in faith and obey God. The first time I heard the gospel, 3rd of April, 1977, I went forward. I committed my life to Christ. The first time I heard a request for volunteers, I volunteered. When Scripture Union needed workers for holiday mission, when a Sunday school needed another teacher, when posters needed to be put up to advertise an evangelistic rally, when counsellors were needed, when I heard the first challenge to get involved in missions, I volunteered. And looking back, I'm so glad I got involved on each of those occasions. Now, responding to these calls with enthusiasm was the very best things that I could have done. They were followed by spiritually testing times, sometimes tough times, always teaching times. They were used by the Lord to purge and purify and prepare me to be more prayerful and practical in this adventure of Christian discipleship. The first time I heard of the persecution of Christians in Mozambique and read of Operation World, that there was less than one Bible for every thousand Christians there, I started to pray for Mozambique. Soon I was preparing to smuggle Bibles into that war-torn Marxist countries. And before long, God had miraculously provided and guided and protected me all the way to the capital city, Maputo. And I was able to deliver the first shipment of Bibles these Christians had received since the revolution. It was a tremendous privilege to trust and serve our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Since that first mission over 40 years ago, I've had the joy and privilege of crossing countless borders on about 140 missions behind enemy lines, delivering desperately needed Bibles and medicines to war-ravaged Mozambique, Angola, and Sudan, walking across the Nuba Mountains to deliver relief aid and show Christian films in remote areas. This is the essence of what Christian love is in practice, overcoming all obstacles and discouragements, enduring whatever suffering is necessary, making whatever sacrifice is necessary, persisting until the task is complete. A curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work, a curse on him who keeps the sword from bloodshed. One of the most unusual compliments that I ever received was from a man I deeply respect, Reverend Fana Sabisi, Zulu missionary, co-worker of Kwasabantu Mission, at the time president of Christians for Truth. At the very first Christians for Truth conference in 1991, Fana Sabisi responded to my Saturday night presentation with these words. Peter is a real Zulu. He thrusts in the assegai and he licks the blood off the blade. Now, those who may have read The Washing of the Spears and understand something of the culture and history of the warlike Zulu people will understand this was actually a compliment. Zulus were not considered men and were not even allowed to marry until they'd washed their spears in blood. They had to show their courage by killing the enemy in battle. For the Zulu men at the time, it was literally a curse not to have blood on their assegai. So a real Zulu was one who would not hesitate to stick in his assegai, his spear, and then show his eagerness for battle by licking the blood off the blade. I mean, it's a pretty uh, ghastly imagery for many people, but, but it illustrates 
the enthusiasm one should show in God's service, even in fighting a good fight of faith. The need of today is we need Christians who will have a vision of the Lord, standing with drawn sword, the command of the army of the Lord. We need men and women who will say, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. To go where God sends us, to do what he commands us. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young, but you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. I am with you, declares the Lord. That's God's word to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 7 to 8. We read in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Yet all too often, we stay seated. When we should stand up, we keep silent. When we should speak out, we stand back when you should step out in faith. We remain at home when you should be going out on the highways and the byways to proclaim the great news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes the Lord makes the stones to cry out and out of the mouths of children he ordains praise. When my daughter Andrea was only five years old, she was taken to the shopping center by my mother. There in the center of the shopping mall, a magician was holding a group of children's attention and he called out to Andrea and her grandmother walking past hey little girl come over here we have magic for you my mother reported that Andrea responded immediately my lord Jesus does miracles and it's better than your magic the magician stood speechless <laughs> there are times when we should stick in the spear and lick off the blade Jesus taught in Matthew 18 I tell you the truth Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes any of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but... Woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or feet and be thrown to eternal fire. And if your eye cause you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown to the fire of hell. That's all in Matthew 18. We are Christians. We are people with a message. We have the message of life and death. We are soldiers of Christ engaged in a great spiritual world war. Let us wake up to the urgency of a world going to hell and a spiritual emergency in the church. Truth is at stake as humanistic philosophies sweep through our universities, infiltrate our seminaries and creep into our churches. The priority of our time is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, to know God and to make him known. This will involve the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. To honour the Lord is to hate evil, we read in Proverbs 8.13. Do not let evil defeat you. Instead, conquer evil with good. 
Romans 12, 21. I'm compelled to preach the gospel, writes the Apostle Paul. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard, Acts 4, verse 20. Make every effort to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Do you know what God wants you to do? Are you doing it? Wholeheartedly? When duty calls a danger be never wanting there, do you know your Bible? Are you applying it effectively to every area of life? A curse in him who is lax in Lord's work, a curse in him who keeps a sword from bloodshed. Therefore, my beloved brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because we know that our, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on your God, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my loving God, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord's. That's Psalm 144. If you share this vision, if you want to change your world, if you would like to join our mission, plan to join us for the inspiring, life-changing Great Commission course. From 24th of June to the 13th of July, Coming up right now, we will be having this intensive three-week boots-on-the-ground, body-mind-spirit training program with daily outreaches, practicals with hands-on ministry designed to stretch your mind and your muscles, to widen your vision and deepen your faith. For over two decades, participants of the Great Commission course have traveled from as far afield as Australia and America, from Britain and Botswana, from Canada and the Congo, from Ghana and Germany, from Namibia and New Zealand, from Malawi and Mozambique, from Sudan and South Africa, from Zimbabwe and Zambia, the GCC is a uniquely practical missionary training program for all who desire to be more effective and more innovative in cross-cultural evangelism and discipleship. So if you're interested in making Christ's Great Commission your supreme ambition, contact Frontline Fellowship, admin at frontline.org.za or mission at frontline.org.za and visit our website, www.frontlinemission.org. SA.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, and see under the upcoming events, the Great Commission course, there's some videos, there's some pictures, some reports, um, insights, application form. If you're interested in missions, whether part-time, short-term, long-term, career, you'll find the Great Commission course a crash course, a boot camp, very practical. It'll involve a lot of outreaches and practicals. You will get fitter. There's daily PT, there's hikes, there's night hikes, there's all kinds of practicals, and one will go away with a library of great books and digital libraries and resources and skills and friends for life. So many good things have happened at our Great Commission course over the years. Do pray for it. If you can't attend, maybe you can sponsor someone else who wants to go but can't afford to. If you would like to enjoy some of the lectures and audios, of course it's not the same as the hikes and the outreaches and the practical workshops, but there will be videos and audios uploaded in coming weeks of the upcoming Great Commission course. And the Great Commission course textbooks are available also through Christian Liberty Books. And you will find many of these things very helpful. The Great Commission handbook and manual 
uh, the Greatest Century of Missions, uh, the Security and Survival in Missions, the Chaplain's Handbook. These are just some of the great textbooks, putting feature faith and others, uh, which you can get, which people who come to the course will be receiving as part of doing the course. Pray for us. Pray for the right people to attend, those that God has an appointment with. Pray for the lecturers, the guest lecturers, the team leaders, the practicals involved, the different churches that we're doing outreaches with. And if you're in the Cape Town area and you want to join in, or if you want to organize some outreaches for a team or an opportunity to minister for one of our teams or outside guest speakers, even people from overseas, to come and speak at your church during the 24th of June to the 13th of July. That's coming up right now, the Great Commission course. You can read more about it online on www.frontlinemissionsa.org, or you can look at the Great Commission Camp and Course Facebook page or the Frontline Fellowship Facebook page. You'll see details and links on there, including some videos of previous courses that were done and give you a bit of a feel if you're interested in being part of it. Although it's an intensive three-week course, we can have some people joining part-time, and if some can only come for part of it, well, it's better to attend part than none. Uh, even though if you attend the whole three weeks, I guarantee you'll be a lot fitter and stronger and more confident, and you will find you've gotten out of your comfort zone. And it takes about three weeks to build up good habits. And so the good habits of daily devotions, daily PT, uh, Bible drill, so many other great skills uh, will stand you in good stead later in life. We've had people who have come to the Great Commission course who have been transformed by it, said it was the most important thing that happened in life. And many since then have gone on to careers and missions in the Middle East and the 1040 window to Muslim countries and all sorts of extraordinary things have come about from people whose first step out of the comfort zone was attending a Great Commission course. We've been running them since January 1998. So 24 years of a great Commission courses, if you're interested, coming up soon in Cape Town from the 24th of June to the 13th of July. May God bless you and may God strengthen you. You will find more resources that you will find useful uh, in your devotional life and in your discipleship and outreaches on our www.livingstonfellowship.co.za website. Livingstonfellowship.co.za has got Bible studies and sermons, including summaries of every book of the Bible in both audio and written form. So if you are interested in more of these sort of resources, you'll find Bible studies and sermons on livingstonfellowship.co.za. You'll find lots of articles on missions and the persecuted church on frontlinemissionsa.org. We need your prayers. We need your support. And we need more volunteers. The harvest is large and the workers are few. Give up your small ambitions and follow Jesus. God bless and good night. <music>